Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Ross. I'm Craig. It's time to put the kettle on. It's tea time. In today's episode, we will be discussing uh, vertical farming and delivering you the latest in sustainability news. Uh, according to businessgreen.com, the big food giant, you may have heard of them, Unilever, announced new targets to address sustainability across all of its suppliers. Uh, their chief executive, Mr. Alan Jope, emphasized the company intended to have an holistic strategy, saying that climate change, nature degradation, biodiversity decline, water scarcity, all of these issues are interconnected and we must address them all simultaneously. In doing so, we must also recognize that the climate crisis is not only an environmental emergency, it also has a terrible impact on lives and livelihoods. We therefore have a responsibility to help tackle the crisis as a business and through direct action by our brands. Now these targets that they've set, they've set um, to be, uh, to remove deforestation by 2023 and the sort of wider impact um, that they're going for is not until 2035 which is quite far away, but I guess they've got quite a bit to do. So, but either way, positive announcement from them, given that they supply a lot of their food here in the UK. I was going to say, a bit of background on uh, Unilever, 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 whatever. Yep. Uh, they are massive. They are a mega corporation. Um, one of the few mega corporations that own pretty much everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, Big news. Yep. Uh, and it's also in the food topic, which we'll get to a bit more later on. Um, also, the UK Department for Transport have this week announced the winners of a funding scheme aimed to innovate the UK railway system. And so I have did a little digging and I found out who the winners were and what they were doing. So first of all, we've got Unipart Rail. They are planning to make a zero emission machine which removes and replaces the rails okay or like by itself or with the human accomplice well it doesn't mention that so my guess is it's just going to be with a human um and just basically a electric vehicle or something which is actually an electric forklift or whatever that does the job so I mean that's it's good, but I was, hmm. but I'm not sure I would have. Anyway, not not in, first one, not overly impressed. Next one. I mean, let's, let's not be bad to them, I suppose. I mean, it could be amazing. We just maybe haven't got all the facts. I mean, yeah. it, it does sound like maybe a wheelbarrow, like some guys pushing. That's, <laughs> that's technically zero emission. But... I mean, I got excited when I heard that there was you know a funding scheme and there's a first round of winners. I thought the first winners would be quite exciting and. And replacing the rail okay, some context. To be less of an issue. Some context. How much did they win? How much money uh, was involved? He didn't say for that one. Only, it does say for some of them, but not all. What's the ballpark figure, do you think? Uh, well, in other ones got received something like 400,000. So. Ah, so we're talking maybe a couple of hundred thousand pounds these guys would have had. So it's not a wheelbarrow, because they wouldn't have given that much money for a wheelbarrow. Well, so it would probably be Anybody... some sort of thing. If anybody wants to, you know, tell us what Unipart Rail, you know, if it is an amazing thing, then feel free to send it in. Um, but yes, uh, that's what information I've got so far, um, and uh, not particularly 
amazing. But um, Porterbrook Leasing are getting £400,000 to evaluate whether a midlife diesel engine can be made more environmentally sustainable. In other words, they're just going to basically see if they can reduce the particulates that come out the back of them. Oh, so they haven't uh, actually done it, but this is just for research. Yeah. So on, di on diesel engines, which again replaced by the electrification project. No, no, this is just literally just four hundred thousand pounds invested into seeing whether they can make an existing diesel slightly less rubbish. Now, I don't, know, I don't go out limb here and say I think that's several degrees of stupid, but. Um, because we, we know diesel is not going to work. Why are we still doing that? I mean, I wouldn't say it's really, it's not reaching for the stars, is it? No. Um, the next one is interesting one. Steamology Motion are building hydrogen-based steam turbine systems for mm. freight locomotives. And there's a lot of talk at the moment about whether hydrogen fuel cells could be the answer to longer distance travel. However, Elon Musk refers to them as fuel cells and referred to the current method of generating hydrogen as staggeringly dumb. So, I mean, hydrogen is a, is a separate topic altogether, but mm. let's just say for, for, who, for who he is, as in Elon Musk and what he's done, that's not a great endorsement. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, he doesn't sound like a big fan. No, 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 he's not. Um, so, you know, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, if technology is developed, it might go somewhere. But. but based on the three ideas you've said so far, they all seem like baby steps in the right direction, but they're baby steps. Well, I think the first two are baby steps. I think the third one is a step in a just a totally different direction. So I don't think that's a baby step, but well, I mean, we, hydrogen wise, though, surely that's just, it's not going to be as good as electricity and the electrification of the railway system entirely is the ultimate goal. Right, I mean, so we're, we're, we're not going to get maglev. Sorry? I suppose we're never going to get a maglev level like Japan. We're not going to get no. bullet trains, no. but Different. unless we start digging massive holes, which maybe in the future. But for once, uh, the electrification idea is that we basically essentially rip up the whole rail or at the very least put infrastructure over the top of the rail to provide overhead yes. thingies throughout the entire length of the track. Yes. Which is That's quite a happening. heavy investment. Um, so this would be, if it was hydrogen, obviously you wouldn't need to do that. You can just put, <clears throat> fill the train up with hydrogen and then send it off his way like you would do with fuel. But... And hope it doesn't explode. Yes, because that's never happened. Um, mm. Yeah, so there's that one. As a tidbit on the electrification of the rail, um, we get a lot of news in Wales because it stopped at the border. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole point of electrification of the rail started with the, the, main, the main stretch between London and Swansea, um, the Great Western stretch. And they were meant to do it, done it all by the end of last year, I believe. But they only got as far as Bristol yeah. and called it done because they were doubly over budget. 
yeah. I think. I don't know the numbers are so much, but all I know is that it would have cost him a further 300 million just to do from Bristol to Swansea, which is about 60, 70 miles. Um, and the prices they were quoting was roughly um, a million pound per pylon. Wow. Which is ridiculous. Um, and I think they called it quits at the bridge because Wales on that particular stretch has more old school bridges, which have, would have had to been removed, extended, heightened, and yeah, a million pound of pylon. Yeah. So, uh, so, so they, actually, they actually run on diesel until Bristol, then run electricity to London, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, so the next company is Riding Sunbeams. And they seem to be trying to add solar panels to the overhead electrification system, um, which, I mean, I'm still not sure about the electrification system as it stands, but at least they're trying to put solar panels on it, I guess. So that's something, but um, yeah, so that's where we, <laughs> so that's that one. Uh, there's another company called Far UK and they're coming up with resilient glazing solution to protect passengers, which has, and I quote, a potential CO2 emission saving. Outstanding. We, we probably should have applied to this award. It seems like, it seems like the BTEC award. Um, yeah, so that's that one. Um, so BCRRE, wherever they are, also got 400,000 pounds towards design and testing of a smaller hydrogen power pack. We've already covered hydrogen, so um, I have the same similar sort of thoughts now. Um, and then the last one, so there, there, were, there were a lot more winners in this, but these are the ones that are particularly about sustainability. Um, and then the last one is associated utility supplies are looking to make a fiber reinforced polymer footbridge instead of the steel ones because they're easier to install which will create less disruptance to the network and less local environmental damage i mean i don't even know if it's recycled plastic <laughs> it's just um some lightweight um, plastic in it um makes sense yeah, that's, but, that sounds the most practical so far. Does it though? I mean, like for, for me, when all the trains are running around throwing out diesel particulates and stuff, some special glazing and a footbridge. Yeah, not, 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 not low hanging fruit. It's fruit that's fell off a tree or walked itself to the basket, isn't it? Pretty much. I mean, the glazing one is just, yeah, that's just mad. I don't, I don't really get that one. I, like, Whatever, I'm sure there's some science there. Um, but the bridge one, um, that kind of makes sense in the sense of it, every time you have to have crossings for people, mm. they cost X amount of money. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, the electrification project, the stumbling blocks are the bridges because they cost so much money to fix. So if they were just kind of like, you know, flat pack bridges, which kind of sounds like that polymer thing is. Yeah might make sense because they could just put bridges up when it's asking people heavy from down when they're not and yeah. uh otherwise keep the rail safe yeah 
I mean, I don't want to be negative towards these things because, you know, presumably having money spent on trying to come up towards better solutions is, is obviously a good thing. But I don't know. I, I can't help but feel a little bit skeptical after reading the winners. That, yeah. I mean, okay, so I, I guess it's because I'm expecting battery electric to feature somewhere in all of this, and it isn't. Mm. Um, and I know that people don't think it has the capacity to pull off the sort of long distance trips, but I think there's, I still, I feel like there's more, there's more scope in that area still that we haven't necessarily thought of. Cause um, like you could, you could put electrification on the platform itself. Cause that the, the launch of the train is, is like one of the most energy intensive parts. So if you could, just put your electrification stuff on the platform, then you can use that electrification to get it moving. Um, and then you could use regenerative braking whenever, whenever the train stops, which would charge the battery quite a bit. You, there's stuff's already been done with um, induction charging. So potentially you could induction charge the train while it's sat on the platform or waiting at junction or anywhere that's stationary. Um, maybe you can even do it while it moves. I don't know, but um, hmm. But then all those things combined with uh, developments in battery longevity, like Tesla's million mile battery, which I appreciate hasn't been launched yet. But um, I would have thought the combination of those things together, even if it takes another year or two for it to be viable, is still a better use of money than, than you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I feel like I come off across maybe overly negative when I hear those ideas. Um, I feel I, like I, I, I think you'd be I, more positive. Anyway. <laughs> I, 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 I suppose I feel disappointed. I feel like um, it's 2020. We have a very aged railway network. Uh, we're a small country. Um, I think we could do a lot more like Japan, South Korea. Their, their rail networks are fantastic in comparison i mean besides us being a lot older infrastructure wise so things will cost more money i don't see why we can't do similar things like you know we we should have gigabit broadband everywhere we should have electric trains everywhere we're small enough capable enough to do that so yeah can't help but feel a bit disappointed mm. so if anyone out there can tell me why a battery electric train couldn't work whether there's some sort of milestone that we have to reach before that was plausible please do let me know because um it just just seems wrong you've got a train's got a huge capacity for batteries along the bottom it's got a huge capacity for solar powers along the top it just it seems like it should work but hmm. i don't know so there's that uh in other news um, the government this week gave the green light, it's very exciting, uh, for green number plates. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. So, um, a weird color green, though. It is a, a slightly pale ish green. Is that what you thought? Uh, the one I saw is kind of just like on the side. Yes. Like very, very like high contrast. Right. Well, like, um, like a sticker from, I don't know. Like one of those ultra fluorescent like courts. Yes. 
So yeah, it's a little flash on the on the left hand side of the number plate. What does it mean? Other than you know, a green blur <laughs> as a car goes past, or maybe if you're looking at oncoming traffic or something. But um, uh, what does it do? Uh, basically, at the moment, nothing. Um, but the idea is that if we have an identification process, then that could lead to cheaper parking or free entry into zero emission zones or something like I guess that's so what individual councils and companies to decide. What stops someone copying their number or just adding something to the, to the side? Yeah, that's, that's probably something you can just grab on Amazon at some point. Oh, I see. What, as in, as in literally just add a sticker on? Yeah, sticker. Guess, or some, some sort of like you know some sort of silicon mold you can just like slot on <clears throat> yeah I, I guess nothing except it's illegal is it illegal is it actually illegal um i i, I don't suppose it's legal illegal yet because they're just been announced but i imagine they would make it illegal yet. sure you have to because i mean I, that'd I be mean, like changing the number plate I'm not, not sure if it would be. It's like, um, for example, the, the little sticker on the back or your little letters that say diesel on the back of your car. You change out of petrol. It's not legal. It's misleading, but it's not legal. No, but you are, if you're changing, the number plate itself is a protected thing, isn't it? You can't deface it. You can't change the things on it. So, I mean, you see a lot of like car garages. They have their logos and stuff on it and phone numbers and stuff. It's going to be a car company now. It's just got bright green, a pair of green ribbons. Um, yeah, just just, just green, green cars, UK just on the side. Mine cars, obviously. So that, yeah. um, yes. So what benefits would you like to see? If you had, a, if you had a, one of those cars with a little flash on it, what would you like to see being the... Um, yeah, so ability to use, um, well, I suppose the parking wouldn't matter too much because you have to park typically where there's a charge point station. Um, so parking wouldn't really matter too much. Uh, I did hear of an idea of having a green lane on a motorway. That could be quite interesting. But again, not sure how much that achieves. Um, it all seem like a very short-term solution, doesn't it? It does. I mean... I suppose ultimately these these benefits are going to be time limited because eventually we'll all have electric cars. We'll all be the same. Um, the green nubbin thing will just disappear, and yeah, we'll all start paying road tax again. So uh, I suppose benefit-wise, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe discounts off things, like you get a discount from IKEA right now, I believe, if you charge your car in IKEA. Kind of. What happens is it's a bit, it's so, it's, it's, it's so, it's not complicated, but it's a, it's so much of a pain in the bum. I don't think I've actually ever done it. Um, <laughs> basically you have to, you have to charge, you have to charge your car f first, is it? And then you have to get receipt of your car charging and show that at the till or something like that. So I've always been oh. like, well, that means I have to go outside to the car, get the receipt. In order to go back in, maybe you can get it on the app or something. I don't know, but it's just always just I never bothered in the end. I just, it's probably stupid. 
maybe for next time you might come back is that is that the idea yeah maybe yeah <laughs> but it's like i don't go to ikea weird enough it was, it was like seven pound off or something yeah seven or seven or eight come out somewhere cool i mean something like that just generally could be quite cool just but, i don't know 10 cent off mcdonald's when you're going through just bang up oh, green car yeah 10 cent off yeah well actually that'd be quite good because actually you're that means when you're sat outside in the drive-thru you're not poisoning everybody else <laughs> yeah yeah i think it was the other day that people that drive um okay, i only mean to people that drive normal cars because it's not always the choice but um uh I, i've always likened um driving a petrol diesel car to um smoking because basically it's um you know you're you're giving out bad stuff for everybody else but i realized that actually smokers are better because at least smokers poison themselves more than they do everybody else. Whereas when you drive a car, you sit inside where you're protected and you shove it out the back. <laughs> so actually you're, you know, it, it, would, it would be like lighting a cigarette, making someone else inhale it, <laughs> and, then, and then putting it in your mouth to look cool. <laughs> uh, okay, good analogy. Anyway, um, so stuff like drive-throughs where you are in a closed space, uh, yeah. especially where like um, you know workers are like coming up to little booths and stuff, you know they're constantly just looking down on exhausts. So yeah, should you be an electric car, 10 percent off? I mean, you know, no idea if McDonald's have thought about this. McDonald's are an example, but uh, there must be some statistics somewhere that if they encourage more electric car usage at their drive-throughs, they can save X amount of employee damage basically less sick days etc yeah from, yeah it's a very that, good that, interesting to see I mean, if I, I've I ever researched that, yeah. that. So, um, yeah yeah because when so, it's so, busy that is what happens you just sit there at the, well i mean you can close the window which is what you used to do stop the stuff from coming yeah. in but, but yeah um you keep opening it i mean right now they wear masks because of the pandemic so maybe that will stay maybe they'll realize that Actually, it's much better with the mask on. I was going to wear this from now on. Maybe. If you have any suggestions as to what you think the green car initiative flash thingy should do for you, if you have an electric car, please chuck it in the comments below. Especially if there are things that can convert you to be an electric car user, should they be? Well, yeah, that's, well, yes, I guess that's a more important question. What would, yeah, not if you already have one. <laughs> what do you want if you already have one? What would make you change yeah. it? What would, what would sway you? Priority parking, mate. I don't know. Maybe. So the parking one, you you need the electric uh, charging thing. So typically, you well, no, no, park give, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that again because I, I, they do at the moment because if if I drive anywhere in a Nissan Leaf, uh, I almost guaranteed I'm going to need to charge. <laughs> but obviously, as that as the length of the battery goes up, um. I actually, you won't need to. You won't need to charge everywhere. So you, you better go to you know your supermarkets and stuff, and and not need to have charging because mm. it's your locals. I mean, like you know, I, I don't I don't charge when I go to even though I can, I don't charge when I go to Tesco's if I drive because it's like a mile from my house. I don't I just don't need to. So um, and obviously as the range increases, you'll need to charge less and less. There's an argument there, you should have probably walked to Tesco's, and that would be a better investment for the environment. Yeah, and I usually do, but 
sometimes I'm trying to pick up something heavy, so I take the cup, which is fair enough. But no, I'm not. Ju- I'm not judging. I I own you know one of the poisonous cars. Driving an electric car means I don't feel quite so guilty about driving a mile to Tesco's to pick up something heavy if I want to, because I didn't kill anyone in the process. Or farming. Oh, um. Uh, so yeah, final bit of news on that one is they've also announced another twelve million pounds, most of which will go to a new competition where you can bid to help businesses enhance battery and hydrogen vehicles and their infrastructure. Hmm. A bit loose. Let's hope the winners of that money have an idea a little bit more impactful than a new windscreen. <laughs> um, but so if you've got any brilliant ideas, maybe. Uh, Maybe you should um, apply for some of that 10 million quid that goes towards it. Yeah, I mean, basically the idea is this one, the previous one, that's a lot of money um, for ideas that sound perhaps straightforward. And in certain cases, they weren't even achieved. They were just more for research. Mm-hmm. So that sounds interesting. But yeah, a lot of, lot of emphasis on hydrogen. Kind of yeah. feel, hydrogen feels like, I don't know, just like the middle step before you go full in i don't i mean i don't even think it's that i just for me it seems it seems more of a stretch i mean like you know if you think battery electric is hard i think i just think hydrogen is way more complicated but maybe i'm wrong i think if we improve how we generate electricity because i think i think i think i was reading something about in korea the, the way that they produce most of their hydrogen is from basically fossil fuels still so oh really no, that's just deeply inefficient that's stupid because <laughs> it would also be better to burn the fossil fuel than it would be to burn it to make hydrogen that's way less efficient but um i mean if we can come up with some you know very small and uh energy efficient electrolysis or something like that then maybe mm. i think electrolysis is what's used at the moment but again i think it's quite inefficient what is electrolysis uh it's converting water to splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen as in fresh water well i guess so yeah yeah i suppose that would have been beneficial if it was seawater but then i suppose you have to desalinate it first yes desalinate desalinate yes desalinate there'll be a lot more energy um because i think as you mentioned at the beginning um with uh unilever uh looking to protect fresh water fresh water is also a commodity which we don't have an infinite amount of in the world yeah so if we are using that now to convert into hydrogen kind of feels maybe the wrong way kind of probably kind of the same way where we're using lots of um viable land growing corn to make biodiesel exactly it, it feels it feels it feels yeah the wrong direction it does yeah. especially when we're going to have you know a population of nine billion in 2050 where we're going to need that land to grow actual food so the biodiesel angle seems to be very short-lived yeah so that's all the news i've got so topic of the day vertical farming so if we start with aeroponics, um, I personally think that's the future for farming. No pesticides, 95% less water, 70% increase in yield. 
you can do it indoors or you can do it outdoors. Um, and if you do in a vertical thing, that's what we call vertical farming, uh, it can take up dramatically less space than a traditional farm in the field. Like a tenth or something, something silly like that. Um, so how does it work? Well, uh, you may have heard of hydroponics, especially if you're, you know, into that sort of thing. Um, it's a method of feeding nutrient rich water to the roots of plants and it was usually used for growing marijuana in people's attics. Um, well, aeroponics is very similar, except that you grow the plant so that the roots are exposed in a dark chamber and then you can provide the roots with a nutrient rich mist or gas or however you want to describe it. So that allows the roots to drink up the water uh, and or it's the nutrients within the water while still being able to breathe because roots doing to breathe. Basically, it's like a plant doing a straw pedo. It can just drink it quicker because it can still breathe absorbs it all quicker rather than having to break down the droplets. You see, it's a plant stropeed, that's what it is. Um, the other significant variation in this area is called aquaponics, uh, which basically creates a sort of symbiotic ecosystem between plants and fish. So water wow. is circulated between the two, the fish do their business, that's then fed to the plants, which effectively filters the water and then sends it back again. That makes sense? It does, it's interesting, yeah. The research I was doing primarily was, I wanted to know where this even came from. And I found the origin story quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of the origin story? I'm not. Ah, cool, so maybe I can teach you something before you teach me a bunch, Lord. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, so, it came from hydroponics, which probably not a massive jump, but hydroponics came about in the Gulf War by the American military. Um, they found it difficult to supply food to front of in the Gulf in Iraq. And so they invented the concept of hydroponics because they couldn't grow crops themselves. They had to grow crops hydroponically in order to sustain some sort of level of food. And that later then became aeroponics, which is a much more efficient version of hydroponics by using gas instead of water. Mm -hmm. So that's the origin story. I learned all about that. That's, that's cool. Mm. Yeah. So you've probably heard of, you know, Elon Musk, but you may not know about his brother, Kimball. Kimball Musk. Yeah, have you heard of him? No. Okay, so he's actually pretty much been there from the start. So he was involved in early days of Tesla, early days of uh, PayPal as well, I think, um, and even helped out during SpaceX stuff. So he's been there from the beginning, but um, he's more recently started a company or I think it's a company or a movement or whatever called Square Roots. So one of the areas that they're working on is to create farms, these in their case hydroponic farms, inside shipping containers so the shipping container has the advantage that it can be fully managed in terms of temperature and humidity and everything the whole the whole thing is controlled so um they don't need to use pesticides they can literally control 
the pests that if they do get any temperature and stuff like that. Um, and it also allows them to replicate any, like, so they could replicate the conditions in a certain region in Italy in a certain year for a certain product. Um, and then they can grow that anywhere. So that's basically how it works. Um, so recently on Friday, the 5th of June, the Times reported that Britain was, quote, at risk from reliance on imported fruit and vegetables. Um, apparently, they, well, they say that we import half of our food, including more than 80% of our fresh fruit and 70% of our tomatoes and 50% of our potatoes. Now, this might be my ignorance, but I don't really understand why we need to import that much produce that we know that we can make here, right? We know we can make potatoes and we know we can do strawberries in the UK. So I don't really understand why we import that much. How from, much do we export? Um, I don't know. Because I imagine we export quite a lot too. So if we just didn't export it and just used it. I just don't get why we do that. No, I mean, potatoes, definitely. Like we should, like potatoes grow very easily in the British climate. I mean, all, all root veg do. So. I mean, I can understand why we export some, but I can't understand why we'd import any. Anyway, um, I mean, maybe it's a very special type of strawberry or something, a, a rare, but if it's a normal strawberry, I don't really understand why, why we do that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say? I was just going to say that I imagine it's only for the six months of the year that we can't grow strawberries. So September to February or something. True. Maybe that is it. So we can um, have strawberries for Christmas, which, you know, I suppose 20 years ago, that couldn't be possible. Yeah. So, you know, in theory, these shipping containers, you can grow the food all year round because everything's controlled. So you can grow strawberries in a shipping container in a car park in November, if you so wish. Mm. Um, but yeah, so uh, what people don't, I don't think people know as much about is that um, the time between when you harvest the crop to when you eat it is critically important in terms of the nutrient levels. Supposedly they drop off quite quickly. Um, so you often hear people talking about like from, from farm to fork or, or whatever the term is to say basically it's that's, that, that timing is, is, is really important. So therefore growing locally is, well, it's good for the local economy. It's better for the environment in terms of um, fuel emissions and you know shipping and trucks and stuff to move this, all the food around. And if it gets it to our plates fast, that it's also better for our health. So, um, if there is a downside to growing locally, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I can't work out. It also seems to be all positive. So, I guess it's just currently cheaper. Uh, I have heard of negatives, um, again, in a book I've mentioned before called The Green Illusions. Yeah. Um, the, the, the negatives tend to be costs where smaller enterprises don't have the ability to be as sustainable as big as. So they typically use inferior product uh, packaging, um, maybe inferior sort of technology in sense of pesticides. Yeah. So even though they are local, they're fresh, they may not be as as high quality as they could be because they don't have access to those things. 
Okay. Um, so projects like Square Roots, uh, Kimball Musk's company, and a UK startup, because we like UK startups, called Let Us Grow. Let mm. Us Grow. Um, they make the technology and software for people to create their own indoor farms, um, essentially allowing all the produce to be grown at scale locally and then because it's indoor farming and because it's controlled, any produce that they want, with, you know, to a point. I'm not sure that banana trees grow well in, in shipping containers and things, but um, or in, indoors. But you know, you, you get, generally speaking, you can grow anything you want as long as you've got the space for it. Um, and an interesting side note: whilst uh, so Kimball Musk was asked about this, he's the, and he denied it. But um, obviously, his brother Elon is trying to get us all to Mars. Um, you know, he claims that they're, they're not plotting the idea together, but you can bet that if you are growing food or that we would be growing food in temperate controlled environments like tents or whatever on Mars, simulating Earth's conditions so that we can grow apples and tomatoes and strawberries and things. You can see that being a synergy that will happen at some point. So um, maybe they are still working. He's denied it, but maybe they are in fact working together on how to feed us all in Mars, on Mars. Mm. Um, so I think for me, the bit I like, and I, I, did, I, I did find a quote from someone who said the same thing, but I forgot to record it. But for me, the exciting idea is the, is the, the idea that the, the household pantry, if you have one, um, might not just be a place that you store food, but actually could be a place that you grow it. In which case, That's cool. we all have food in our own houses. You know, the essentials, the things that are um, staple items. And that way, literally, if you need a tomato, you can literally go to your pantry, pick one, and then use it. Mm. That's very cool. And I, I assume you're open to questions at any point. So it's going to stop there and say, what's the yield from these things? Because I've always wondered that, I mean, pantries are typically quite small. So if I'm growing things and say, under the stairs yeah could i could i feed a family of four um, well uh i don't know the specific answer to that question i mean I if you look at them there's they grow an awful lot in in a because it's literally like you know like two inches apart or something vertically stacked as high as, hmm. as it, it can go so yes, you can probably. I think you can probably definitely grow enough lettuce um, easily to feed your family. Um, but okay. I would grow that and enough tomatoes and enough strawberries and everything else. I don't know. Oh, so, so there's a yield variety relationship that would need to be worked out based on your space. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, you, you couldn't make your typical Sunday roast dinner: carrots, potatoes, green beans, peas. So. Um, so potatoes and carrots are obviously root vegetables. So they need a different setup to the fruit type plants where you pick them. Because um, one's literally growing up and the other one's growing down. So um, you need a different system for each one. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see it in the future that you, you could have like a tray that you grow your potatoes in and you can have a strawberries that grow up the side i mean you can do vine 
tomatoes so that, that you know, there are different types of versions of the plant which either grow up or they grow along and you know so i think there, are, there would be a way of certainly having more in in a small space and it depends how much you eat as well i mean like it depends whether you're feeding entirely stuff off that or whether it's just a supplement yeah i suppose the idea would be a totally sustainable self-sustaining future of having these things yourself and i you know i always say as a family we quite low consumption try to be at least um yeah. so let's say a bag of potatoes say i don't know 100 potatoes would probably last about two months yeah. so to grow 100 potatoes outside right now because i've tried it um that'll probably take four months and can only happen once or twice a year yeah so i can probably yield myself enough potatoes for four months but it'll take me eight months of actual growth time. So if that relationship is quicker with aeroponics and the yield is more or the same, then well, you know, I, I think that, that could work out. I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it, it does. I believe it grows faster because of the fact that you can, you know, you, you can have, you don't have to have, a, there is no nighttime. You can have it so that the hmm. sun is shining all day long. You can have it so it because it's got exactly potentially the right nutrients that it needs at any given time then um it should grow the yield should be bigger and stronger um so you've yeah you sped it up you've got more yield anyway um yeah and you've got it all year round so the combination of those i don't know how much space you would need to grow the potatoes to feed the family but Obviously, if it's a system that's going all year long, then obviously you're not, you're not, you're, you'll be planting every week. You know, you'd be putting a new plant down every week and then that would be harvested in however long that one takes. But if it's, if it was, if it's normally eight months and it's now six months, then it's a six month system. But yeah, I that, that, that's like quite a lot of potatoes still to eat <laughs> or to plant. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose potatoes are quite, uh, quite a staple of the British diet. I mean, there's mash, there's chips, there's you know, there's everything in between. I suppose it's quite a, quite a stable thing to use. Um, or using potatoes, potatoes as the main example because they're probably the easiest thing to grow in your garden. Yes. The type of thing of you just put in the floor and eventually they'll pop out. Um, but potatoes go, do go through a flowering stage. And if you want the higher yield, when they flower, you should snip the flowers because it's actually wasting energy making flowers, which you don't want. So with aeroponics, I suppose you kind of skip that stage where they don't flower or do they flower? And do they make the whole green leaves? Because they don't really need all that. Um, I don't know the answer definitely, but um, I know that they've read stuff where there's, there's still the issues of potentially needing to pollinate them. So oh, really? So, yeah, but I think it depends on the plant as well. I think like take, take one side once a week for the bees. Yeah. Uh, I, walk. <laughs> I think some plants are self-pollinating or like it's a, if it's a vine, it just grows every year anyway. Um, whereas other ones need to be pollinated for them to work. So I think it, I think it, it depends, but um, you could see, you know, it, it might require some, dietary changes to our you know where we we eat more microgreens instead of 
mm. size things um if we did that then maybe we would have them a bit more space for the potatoes but if, I mean, if it's just potatoes maybe there are alternative local ways of having a potato farm or whatever to go to so you can get your potatoes locally without having to do them in your own house and then you just grow the more items yeah i mean yeah i think potatoes are the easiest to grow as far as i'm aware um uh, that's why it's mad that we import 50 percent of our potatoes from the uk yeah. i mean we probably i mean obviously not everyone some people don't have gardens some people only have um small gardens if they do have a garden so they won't be able to uh, plant themselves but a typical say i don't know plant box I'm not sure in sizes, maybe 100 centimeters by 50 centimeters or something. Mm -hmm. I could probably get you 100 potatoes every four months if you wanted to. Right. I mean, twice a year at least. Plant in April, get some in September. Um, then you can maybe plant again depending on frost. Yeah. So they'll typically be smaller because you'd be picking them out earlier. Yeah. But you could have fresh new potatoes in the spring, summer, and Bit more hardy ones for Christmas, um, but that's probably the best you can hope. Maybe 200 potatoes a year in a small box. So, typical consumption, I'd probably need about four of those all the time. And obviously, there'll be a, a third of the year there'll be dead time. So, aeroponically, I mean, at least a third of the year can be done aeroponically. I'm thinking, yeah, like right now, which is cool, yeah. Um, so. Well, Growing the food, obviously, large part of the time, but what we haven't talked about, it's not the whole battle. You have to pick it as well. So, um, harvest it, as I should probably say. Um, and at the moment, that's a little bit tricky without the dexterity of the human hand. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but during the pandemic this year, there's been a lot of general panic over whether or not we would successfully pick all the fruit. So there was discussions about whether like we needed to bring people in from the EU to pick our fruit for us because it was all going to go to waste otherwise. So then the government launched a massive campaign to request the British people go and become fruit prickers. Did you see any of that? I didn't know. So I mean, I think they're still applying because a lot of people applied, but then like very few of them got put, went, even went to the interviews, I think. Um, but yeah, there's been a bit of a race on. I think it's still happening at the moment. To make sure ah. we the fruit, which is ridiculous. I, I, I've heard there's been a, there's been a fruit glute, as in there's there's too much of it to even buy. Um, there's been calls to eat as much fruit as you can, basically. Oh, well, buy more. Um, but uh, obviously, people are trying to address this fruit picking problem. Last year, so it was a year ago, and it did say in the article that they're hoping to put it into action next year. So, well. That's now, so don't know what happened, but um, uh, robot pickers, basically a, robo a robotic arm on wheels, driving alongside a raised bed of strawberries, analyzing each one for ripeness and then carefully nipping the fruit. I think I've got a picture of it somewhere, but um, I don't know. It's just, it, you, can, you can probably picture it quite well. It is just literally a, a, robotic, robotic, a robotic arm on a trolley. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can't picture. I'm just thinking like a Johnny Five type deal. Just kind of wander around. Just an arm on a trolley, Gary. It's not. It's well, not like one, 
like, like every grip, for example, like just, just testing every single grip or? Yeah, it's got like a little camera on the end, has a look at it, decides whether it's right, if it is, goes, finds the, the edge of the stalk, snips it, catches it, put it in a, puts it in a punnet. I mean, it's pretty cool that someone's made that, but mm. I can't imagine for large scale stuff. <laughs> this is... No. So I think there's an alternative and there's probably already been done, but basically have a, a large warehouse where the plants are stacked onto like vertically onto conveyor belts, mm. which move around and up. So like as in it's vertical, but it goes higher above than you can reach. So it goes right up in using the full space of the, of the warehouse. Um, and then, at intervals along the journey around, if it's just going around the round of the loop, um, there would be uh, one of these a station where basically, as it as it sort of comes past, analyzes the fruit, checks whether it's it feels like it maybe needs different growing conditions, maybe it needs more of a certain nutrient or or whatever it decides it needs, and maybe it goes off on a different path or something. Um, but basically, it's doing it to the almost to the individual plant level saying what does this individual plant need is it growing well is it not is it is it ready to pick and if it is ready to pick then it can just pick it right there and then so rather than sending the robot out to go pick the plant comes to the robot and it just goes round ah. and round around around and then that way if you have a few of them then when it's when it's um harvesting season for that for that plant um, or harvesting time, I guess, because there won't be a season with it. Um, then it would just, it would just be doing it as it goes, as it goes around. Mm. So I can uh, be a way of it working. Um, mm. uh, yeah, oh, so the whole thing would then be literally from start to finish, pretty much automated. Yeah, I suppose if you time lead each batch, they'd be working every single day, harvesting fruit every single day. Yeah, because there's no season. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so hmm. have you ever been to like, uh, I'm sure you have like, um, Tesco's one, like the, one of the big ones, like a Tesco extra hmm. where you go upstairs and you can buy like clothes and hmm. domestic appliances and things like that. So I quite like the idea of rather than having that stuff, that that top bit is this vertical farm and it's literally growing in above you in Tesco's and then it's being picked every day and then it just appears in the punnet every morning downstairs so it's actually been grown on site personally that'd, that'd be cool i think be be cool. other like there's a brewery in london that um are growing their own strawberries on site which they then put into their beer they make a strawberry beer and there's a few mm. other examples like that. I think there might be a restaurant somewhere that's growing. I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I, it would almost be quite, quite cool to, as you walk in, to see certain plants being grown and knowing that those vegetables, those things are actually in, used directly in your food. Oh, I mean, yeah, based on what you said earlier, of, uh, farm to plate or farm to fork. I mean, yeah. you can't get any better than that. Well, no, you can't. I mean, if it was actually picked there and then and then used by a, you know, professional semi-professional chef prepared properly you, you in theory you can't do any better than that 
I, I imagine that being quite an amazing experience too. Things would taste a lot different. Supposedly, yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a huge difference, but noticeably different. Yeah. So it's been observed before, um, especially in stock market prices, that a crisis usually push, pushes innovation forward. Um, it usually fast forwards things. So like on a basic level, during the pandemic, uh, a lot more people have felt it was worth experimenting with having food delivery because they don't want to go to the supermarket. Um, and so the main hurdle to deciding whether or not you're going to be the sort of person that has food deliveries is, is that first go that you have see whether it was easy to do because people imagine it'd be too complicated. I can't do it. I'm not very good at computers, but once they've had to do it and they've got over that hurdle, then that barrier is then gone. So whilst after the pandemic's all, all done with, you probably have a, it'll probably drop back down. It'll be dropping down to a level, which is probably statistically a lot higher than it was before the pandemic. So that's just a basic example of how it pushes things forward but um uh, yeah, no, I've, I've seen that too uh we're all cooking a bit more as well because we're also at home more so yeah um so in theory we need more access to more fresh fruit and vegetables um and whilst the country's locked down in terms of the imports um you know we're now more dependent on local supply so that should again push things more towards that way. Um, obviously, we should explore the counter argument. Um, currently, at least, the technology is expensive, very expensive. We don't really know what we're doing, we're still learning. Um, the things that we're selling is very low price, as in, you know, pint of strawberries, is, there isn't much margin in it. Um, so, you need to be, you need to be farming at quite a significant scale in order to make your return on investment in order to make their farm actually making money um and for that reason they don't think that this is ever going to work um there's no publicly traded companies i've checked on the stock market doesn't seem to be any that are publicly listed so we don't have any working examples of um companies that are making profit uh, there's quite a lot of um, small startups that have been given, you know, venture capital, large sums of money to, to get going, but nothing that's we can really still say, yeah, that they've been making money for the last five years or whatever. Um, so for the time being, there is probably enough potential. Oh, that's yeah, so the other argument is that there's enough land available in the world. Mm. we haven't used yet um that if as long as the system operates like it does where it's cheaper to import it from outside than it is to make it uh locally then um chances are if that system continues then so will us importing food from outside for a while but it's a new technology it should get cheaper um and if there's geopolitical pressures to become less dependent on other countries or we start implementing carbon taxes and things like that, I don't think it's implausible to see uh, a world where locally grown becomes more viable. Um, so whilst what we grow 
in each country will dependent on you know the culture and what they're used to having um the, the like take if you take that shipping container example the technology the template for that will be could be global and then it's just a case of bringing that cost down so that it's easy enough to do yeah i mean my my five pence on that would be i would love that world uh during the pandemic already i've started to use more local businesses hmm. um primarily because uh in wales right now uh you're not allowed to travel further than five miles anyway although they are so, reviewing that. there's there's calls for that to be reviewed apparently i read today the, yeah they're, they're reviewing it because they've had a lot of stick because wales scotland were behind northern ireland and england in terms of what's allowed to be happening obviously in england you can just travel wherever you want wales scotland five miles so that means that we're limited to five miles to get everything um but doesn't necessarily mean everything we buy comes from five miles obviously tesco still imports things from everywhere but um yeah local farms have as far as seen been profit quite widely from this situation because they are getting a lot more uh, headwind um, one particular farm I use has even started deliveries for the first time because of this. Cool. And they've they went from one truck, I think they've only got four, because it's been so popular to keep up the demand. And they do a whole system of it's free deliveries if you spend 30 quid. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they must be getting quite a lot of orders. Mm -hmm. That's giving them a lot of money. And yeah, I, I don't know where this local produce would have otherwise gone. I mean, obviously, right now we're quite in the middle of a harvest. Things are coming out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a perfect time, in a sense, for local farms to be profiting from this. I mean, yeah, and I've I've loved supporting local businesses. I've, I love using them, and I do feel the products are better. I mean, I could be tainted by the fact that I'm biased towards that anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it does definitely does seem to be a quality difference. Um, and your hope is that they invest that money well i hope so yeah but again because they are small even buying those four vans or renting them i'm not sure what they do um is a cost that for a small business is a lot bigger than perhaps it should be it would be more efficient ways of doing that and even how they go about you know procuring the vegetables the the meats etc and they, they won't be the most efficient ways so they are perhaps costing more and for supply and demand reasons they have to be cost efficient so as you're saying i mean they may not be making much profit on the products mm -hmm. and because they are local they don't use preservatives uh so they are fresher so they have to sell what they produce yeah. um, otherwise it just literally goes to waste yeah um so i suppose stuff like that is, is harder but in in all i would like to see that become the norm perhaps like it used to be in uh world war ii britain that's uh what a lot of people oh, in there in the a lot of like of the boomer age group that's kind of how they categorize this time it's kind of like living in world war ii britain again in the 60s in the 50s so uh yeah like when you have a food larder and that's it there's no local shop is it you get everything locally from your local butcher, your local whatever. 
and that's what you've got. And I yeah. quite like that lifestyle personally. Don't let the kids in the pantry. Yeah, keep it high. There was a there was an interview with um uh, I watched another interview with Kimball Musk uh, on a podcast called I think it's called Third Road Tesla or something. Um, apologise to them if I got that wrong. Um, and they asked they asked Kimball whether um there was future plans for in obviously so Tesla have the Cybertruck, which has the vault on the back. Seen that? No. So you've you've heard of the Cybertruck, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so on the, it's a it's a pickup type thing, but on the the back is a slanted. There you go. Slanted sort of back to it, but it's got um it's a door that can open and close, and they call it the vault. So it's like it's like the bed. Um, and um, so yeah, we're talking about loading the vault up with um, fresh produce from the shipping containers that he has, and then using the autonomous driving that Tesla are working on to then distribute the um, you know the produce around. So basically, it'll all be like you know you just take it out of the shipping container, stick it in the back of the truck, and then the truck goes and delivers it for you, and then comes back. Don't send anyone out. Doesn't cost you any petrol. Doesn't cost you any labour. I say we to do that that service for local farms. Like a subject just turns up, like and just says, "Fill me." Yeah, some some method of um, opening the opening the vault autonomous uh, remotely. Sorry. Yeah, so when it arrives mm. at the location, someone puts in a code or something, and then the the thing opens and. They can get their thing out. Like it. Mm. So, I did have some research, and yeah, I mean, you definitely got the the bulk of this, but the bits I kind of read on, I want to do a bit more of the history because I'm I'm very interested in where things start to try and see where things end, and um, yeah, so I read a chapter in a book called the uh, the fate of food by uh, Amanda Little, 2019. And the ideas in the chapters on critical farming was just talking about the history and how this is basically a promising way to solve the food problem, which will be an ever-increasing problem by the year 2050, with all you know nine uh, billion people we expect running around. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the idea of aeroponics, hydroponics, critical farming—it's not new. Is something we've been doing since the Roman days. So for the past 2,000 years, we've had at least the idea of a greenhouse to uh, to grow you know, our own food in our yep. gardens. And if anything, that's maybe something we've kind of forgotten a little bit. Uh, Greenhouses? Um, yeah, I mean, even just your basic greenhouse. Like, we don't typically see those in every garden anymore, whereas... They may have been a bit more common, you know, just 50 years ago. Hmm. So, you know, simple ideas like this, and not as technically advanced as obviously hydroponics, aeroponics, but just a greenhouse, just to really, grow those more tropical things. They're a lot cheaper to make now because you know back in the day they actually used glass, you know, very heavy hmm. panes of glass. So, considering now we can probably use some plastic. Perspects. Yeah. Um, or even those um, essentially netting 
or very thin. Mm. I don't know what it's called. It's not Perspex, but it's not it's not netting either. But it's like a very, very, it's very thin plastic. Basically, um, mm. using a sort of um, net type way. Uh, ah, okay. Sorry, I can't remember the core, but yeah, I oh, know I've not seen them, but they sound interesting. Right, poly tunnels. What's them? Oh yes, yes, I've seen That's those. What I was say. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're cool. They adjust the temperature, keep it all contained, and they also. Um, keep pests out and stuff, but they're very cheap to make. Yeah, I was, was going to say. So, I mean, if you don't want to get involved in the ideas of you know modern day aeroponics and the kits, perhaps you require, like I just said, Mister um, Grow Light, some sort of, some sort of grow light. Yeah, water tanks, space, maybe inside, outside, maybe outside, inside, probably. Um, you, you could invest in just maybe some polytunnel, which is just some. Perspex sheeting of some sort. Yeah. Like a tarp. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you could grow tomatoes, maybe some other things. Not really sure personally. I've, I've not done it, but uh, that type of stuff could come back into fashion a bit more. Um, it's interesting to know that's been around for a long time. But yeah, the, the idea of vertical farms in general seems to be something that will. It's, it's inevitably going to become the next thing. Um, space is going to be, become a concern. Uh, we have old, um, especially in Britain right now, there's lots of uh, flats which are being completely gutted. Um, it's, it's the recent uh, three-year anniversary of the Grenfell fire. Right. Um, so those type of buildings which are classed as unsafe you know, those type buildings are kind of getting renovated and they will be perfect vertical farms should they get renovated into something like that. Mm -hmm. So these unsafe fire um, buildings, yeah, couldn't be safe for living, but they could be completely safe perhaps for unmanned vertical farms. And we seem to be very close to that future. I also think um, in terms of growing stuff outside, uh, in terms of uh, to make it cheaper, like with the polytunnels and greenhouses, they obviously allowed you to grow things out of season because the temperature is not controlled, but um, nicer <laughs> in a greenhouse than it is outside. Um, it does feel like there should be more um, combinations between the, so, so for, for, for cheap and scalability for normal people, that you have essentially a, a smart greenhouse, which is um, aquaponics, don't, sorry, aqua, aeroponics, but using the sun as well. So, yeah, you know, so during the day you can just use the sun, you can capture the rain, you can get all the nutrients that way. But then at night time, it does. It, it turns on the grow light. It you know keeps misting it, whatever. Maybe it collects the water during if there's any excess water during the day, whatever. So it's just but some supplementary system to existing world climate. Yeah, uh, because got your rainwater filter there too, completely powered by rainwater and the sun. Yeah, magic. Sun, because sun could then because there's an energy issue with um. You know, it'd be weird because everyone's gardens will like light up at night. <laughs> With that is weird pink glow, um, but 
So you might have to do something about it. But um, I'm not sure how you deal with that problem, actually. Good ultra, ultraviolet that's required, or is it red light? What, what do they need? You need? They need the red and the blue spectrum. So you end up with a purple <laughs> light emanating from somewhere. But um, yeah, some system that would allow you to use the sun during the day and then capture the sun's energy, capture the water, and then use that to mist the plants or something during the night, even if it only, even if it was a cloudy day and it managed all for the eight hours that the sun was not really up, it managed to gain enough energy for one hour during the night. Even that would be a slightly better yield than if yeah. you didn't have any. And if, it, if you had it was a long summer's day, then you could have it running all night as well. I mean, hypothetically, this thing could be a, you know, a couple hours set up and then leave to be entirely autonomous. And mm -hmm. if it was smart enough, it could text you like, hi, your tomatoes already. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be very cool. So that's where aeroponics came from. They came from the Gulf War. So it's nice to know that at least that war did something useful. Other than obviously. <laughs> and it's nice that it's taken us this long to um, take it any further. Yeah, that was 2001. So, hmm. no, 2004, sorry. Right. So it's, a, it's been a while. I think there's a, like a, a nuclear salt reactor or something which was, was built even before that, um, which we still haven't done yet. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff yeah, we haven't true. done. <laughs> but uh, I think, as, as you were saying, like the best uses of aeroponics would probably be growing fruit, um, more exotic variants that are difficult to come by, um, but, it, but at least prevent us from importing so much exotic fruits like oranges, strawberries. I'm not sure if oranges are possible or easy, but strawberries at least, because they're quite small plants. Um, both, both things could be done aeroponically in your yeah. house even if you want to get a punnet of strawberries twice a year would be perhaps a nice yield people would be happy with um yeah i went on from uh from amanda little's fit of food to um peter diamadis and stephen kotler's abundance so they had a big topic on vertical farming because this is where they imagine food abundance will come from right in general nice book a lot of concepts we'll probably read all of it at some point but just read this chapter for now um they're the ones who actually were talking about where aeroponics came from in the first place so they give the history lesson and they give a nice bunch of stats like food typically um travels up to 1500 miles to your plate on yeah. average today yeah. um and that's, you know, if you start getting a meal with different ingredients, it could easily be five times more than that. So they made that um, quite clear, I suppose. And since we live in a world of, you know, scarce resources, this is a problem today. It's going to be an even greater problem in the future. Mm -hmm. So the abundance does seem to be using what's locally grown and we can grow more in vertical farms. So I think 100% going to be a winner. And the only other stat which backs up, I think, what you said earlier was they also mentioned how uh, agriculture currently accounts for 70% of all fresh water usage in the world. And if we were to grow the same things aeroponically, it would only use six. It's 95% less water. 
It's mad. I don't really, I mean, I don't really understand why. Um, but I know with aeroponics and with hydroponics, to some degree, although it seems to use more, um, they basically mm. they just recycle it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just going to be waste, too. Um, I think this, this book also went on the part of talking about how uh, technology in general can save a lot of fresh water. Um, apparently, the US has an, has an issue with water pipes. Um, on average, on a yearly basis, 30% uh, of all US's water is lost in uh, pipe leaks, mm. which is a ridiculous amount of number just lost. Yeah, and that's not, I, I'm sure there's a thing about um, sewage um, mm. tanks and things, because they also, they were built out of uh, iron or something, and they're all rusted, they've all got holes in it, and they're all just dipping their crap into the into the environment. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, ridiculous things in today's world, but um, yeah, it's, I would recommend Abundance. That seems to be a very positive book. Uh, talks about how we can achieve this sooner rather than we think, and you know, maybe even today. So, yeah, Abundance, Peter Diamandis and Stephen Cotler. Cool. That's all, that's all I've got. I've got nothing yeah. else. Yeah, well, I think, like, so I can't quite, if I was think about, like, okay, so how am I going to get, if I was just purely be self-sustained, how am I going to get all my fruits and vegetables? I can't really imagine at the moment in my head how I would change my house to accommodate having enough space in it to grow everything I need. Because, you know, yes, it would be cool if I was in a pantry, but I could, that, as you said, from if we eat meat and potatoes and onions and carrots and apples and oranges and bananas and so I, I, there's no way i can grow all of that stuff in my pantry it's just not enough it's not enough space vertically or otherwise it's just it's not possible so um that either means that you know it's a bigger space like a an attic or uh, a basement or something which but again that's then not everyone's going to have that so mm. and what you're going to go you're going to climb up in the attic to go and get your food it doesn't make any sense um yeah so there's issues with that idea but um people aren't gonna i don't think everyone's gonna suddenly go back to having greenhouses in the garden i don't think people have veg patches sure but again i don't think it's going to be enough to feed the entire family all the time so therefore you're back to this distributed idea and if you're doing aquaponics at the moment even even if we take the technology further forward and we've managed to reduce the price of it down a lot it's still a red, it's still going to be, I would imagine, relatively expensive barrier to do something, especially if you're picking the fruit for you as well. Because, I mean, how are you going to have a robotic arm? Mm. <laughs> Costs thousands of pounds. Um, so it does seem like a, a Tesco growing their own on site thing where they've got the space seems like a sensible way of doing it. Mm. And I can't really. Okay. I have an out there suggestion for you as well, which I think should be the topic of next week's. Oh, okay. Fasting. We should change our consumption habits to only eat once or twice a day. Okay. Yeah, we've talked about this a little, little bit before, so we can do that. So oh. I think the problem is now we just eat too much and we don't need to. Yeah. On a slightly side, possibly side note, but maybe related, 
um, something I was just thinking about today, really. Uh, um, it's becoming, I think, more common to feed our children a plate which has got, let's say, a couple of grapes on it, um, maybe a, sh a sugar pea. Sugar pea, is that right? Sugar pea. What's a sugar pea? No? Not sugar pea then. A mons two or a, a <laughs> what's it called? A sugar snap pea. Sweet pea. A sweet pea. Sweet pea. Yeah. Or sugar, what's it called? Sugar snack. A, sh a sugar snap. Sugar snap. Sugar snap pea. So, so it's more common for to have a plate which has got carrots, cucumbers, sugar snaps, raspberries, sliced apple, whatever, just as individual items, and mm. then they eat that as an individual thing. Maybe a block of cheese. Maybe a little bit of. Uh, breadstick or something um yeah so that's quite we, I, I i do that for my son but i never serve myself that dinner i would never sit in front of some chopped up carrots and cucumbers and tomatoes and i, I just as a whole i typically you think if we're having dinner you need to cook it but mm. why why do we think we have to cook it yeah i i, I don't i it's as in it's just a I, I you know we have a cooked meal every day that's a thing that we do but i actually don't know why we do it because oh um, no presumably better for us to sometimes not cook it i'm obviously not talking about chicken or fish um but you know if we're not eating as much meat and we're just eating fruits and vegetables because that's what's best for us then then why do we need to cook anything I mean, I suppose, I suppose we don't, not so much. So I think, yes, we should eat less and we should also probably do more of that. Mm. So do you think I, I could convince you to fast? Eat once a day. I already do. Yeah. I mean, I, at the moment I'm doing, sort of doing it uh, every other day. Um, I was fasting for about two or three months, I think, every day, and then it then it became easy. So, mm. kind of thought I should mix it up a bit and then go back to being not eating it. And then when I then do go back again, it feels a bit harder. So it feels like more of a struggle. I don't know, but um, didn't okay, uh, so take much convince me because I pretty much already do it. I do it for multiple reasons. I do it for one, because so I don't think I need to eat as much. Two is because yeah. it's um, cheaper. Oh, I, need yeah. I need to worry about one meal a day and I, I live in a, in, a sh in a shared house environment so I mean I only have to cook twice a week literally two meals in the entire week I have to deal with um, uh, and what else would I do it for just it's just easy I've, just got, I've got more time I don't have to think about breakfast I don't have to think about lunch I just I just go until I'm hungry and then it's oh it's then time mm. So yeah, I think fasting is, is great. I, I, I definitely noticed weight loss at the beginning. It's just a very easy way of keeping trim, I think. I think it's a really easy way to simplify everything, personally. Like, um, I think, especially in Britain, I mean, probably a lot of content we can save for next time, but especially in Britain, we have a, a thing of, we think about our days in terms of meals. Um, we always think of like, oh, we do this thing after lunch. Oh, that no, we have dinner first. Uh, 
it's breakfast time now. So we can do this, do that. Yeah. And we have these very set times, breakfast this time, lunch this time, dinner that time. Oh, now it's tea time. You yeah. know, I, I think it's very much regimental. And I think those, if we were to live in a sustainable future, I think we would need to lose them. And yeah, well, it's breaking the pattern initially because it's that whole insulin spike thing that happens that makes you feel like you need food at lunchtime, but you don't. No, I mean, you don't. Um, yeah, but let's talk about that more next week. All next right. time. Thanks for listening. Uh, we did the thinking, he did the educating. Now it's time for us all to act. Until next time. I was half expecting you to say cheers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>